We're finishing a lesson we began three weeks ago now, or at least three Sunday school classes ago, on the topic of why it matters how we live. We will review quickly where we've been up to this point and finish out with our fifth point this morning, why it matters how we live. Romans 5 says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. What a blessing. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Lost people misunderstand the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. Lost people misunderstand the doctrine of eternal security to mean, does that mean that I can just live however I want and still get to heaven and be covered by the grace of God? They have a total misunderstanding of what biblical grace is and how biblical grace motivates us to live in service to God and obedience to God, to express our gratitude to God. They are revealing the condition of their heart by asking the question, do you mean that I can just go do X, Y, and Z and I can still be a Christian? All I've got to do is bow my head and pray a little prayer. Well, no, bowing your head and praying a little prayer is not what will make you saved or get you into heaven, but it does take the grace of God because our works always have been and will be insufficient for our soul's salvation. We must trust completely, entirely, solely, and wholly on the merits of Jesus Christ and on His finished work in order to have any hope of eternal life. That is what we mean by we are saved by grace, that what we do has no part in our eternal life. But that is not to say that what we do doesn't matter. That is not to say that how we live is unimportant or irrelevant. Okay? Again, you can take the verses that explain what a person must know and understand and believe and do to be saved. You can condense them to a three by five index card. But God gave us 66 books, 1189 chapters, 30 something odd thousand verses there's a whole lot more in the bible about how to be saved there's a lot in the bible about how to live how to relate to god how to have relationships with one another how to think how to act how to speak and so it does matter how we live now sadly we learned from jude chapter one that saved people often evidence the same misunderstanding there would be those who would creep into the church the Bible says in Jude 1.4, they are crept in unawares and turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. That they, they receive the doctrine of salvation by grace. They receive the doctrine of eternal security. I can do nothing to get saved. I can do nothing to stay saved. I am kept by the power of God. Not by my, I'm not saved by my works. I'm not kept by my works. They'll latch on to that and, and use that as an excuse to follow a sinful lifestyle or a carnal lifestyle or a lazy lifestyle just to just to do whatever they want and hey it's all under the blood anyway so i'm not all that concerned about my sin there are so many reasons why that is such a misunderstanding of bible truth and that's what we've been talking about for just a few weeks uh, now and we want to finish out this morning to summarize in five words here is why it matters how we live number one consequences number two rewards. Number three, testimony. Number four, gratitude. Number five, assurance. 
Consequences, rewards, testimony, gratitude, assurance. Consequences, you're going to reap what you sow. Okay, Your actions, your decisions, your words, they don't have a, any bearing on where you spend eternity, but they have a lot of bearing on how you enjoy this life on the earth. There are blessings to be enjoyed for obedience to God. There is chastening that comes to God's children who get out of line. Your sin will find you out. God's commandments are for your good. Okay? And so because there are consequences, temporal consequences for our actions and decisions, it really, really matters how we choose to live this life. Rewards. There is something in all of our futures. In all of our future. There is something in your future. There is something in my future. If we are saved, that is called the judgment seat of Christ, where your works will be tried, determine what sort they were, and God will determine what level of reward you receive that you get to carry on into eternity. God offers rewards for faithful service. God God renders rewards for Christian obedience, and He holds out those rewards as incentive, as motivation, and you will not be underwhelmed. By the rewards that God hands out. Whatever it is that God is holding out to us, I'm not sure exactly how it works or even in many cases exactly what it is. But I know this, God will make it worth it. Okay, God's not handing out junior church trinkets at the judgment seat of Christ. It will be something of real and lasting value. It will more than live up to the hype. And so we're, we're supposed to take those rewards that God promises, that God offers, that God speaks of. And allow them to motivate us to live for God because the only way to get those rewards is by doing something. You don't get to heaven by doing anything, but you don't get anything in heaven unless you do something. Okay? So rewards are completely dependent upon our works. Salvation is not at all dependent on our works, but rewards are. So that's why it matters. Number three, testimony. God left us here for a purpose. If He saved us to take us to heaven, then He could have done that the moment we bowed our heads and trusted Jesus Christ. The fact that we are alive on the earth this morning as saved children of God is ample proof and evidence that God has something left for us to do. What that job is, is taking the gospel to the lost people all around the world. And so we have to proclaim the good news. We have to open our mouths. We have to preach Christ and Him crucified, but then we have to back that up with the life that we live. Our witness will be rendered ineffective if we live like lost people. Our life is to be the illustration of the sermon. Our life is to back up our, our testimony to the saving power and the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. We have to walk the walk as we talk the talk and our testimony is an important part, an integral part of doing the job that God has left us here to do on the earth. That's why it matters how we live because we can't preach the gospel effectively if we're not new creatures in Jesus Christ. And if that fact is not evident before those to whom we seek to witness. Number four, gratitude. Number four was gratitude. We spoke of how religion has the right factors in the equation. They simply put them in the wrong order. The Bible says, saved by grace through faith. Grace, faith, salvation, 
And then good works, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, the same you boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Which God before ordained that we should walk in them. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. And then you get to verse number 8. Be careful to maintain good works. So religion gets the cart before the horse. Religion says grace and good works, and if there's enough grace and enough good works, then you can be saved. The Bible says grace, faith, salvation, and then the good works follow. And so it is, it is an expression of our thankfulness. Uh, the, the ultimate motivation for living a life of obedience, for living a life of faithfulness, for living a life that will count for eternity, the ultimate motivation is and ought to be our love for the one who has saved us by his grace. That, that, that love of Christ ought to constrain us. I, I, I don't serve God to get to heaven. I serve God because I'm going to heaven. I'm so thankful for what he's done that I believe he, he absolutely deserves my entire life. He gave his life for me. And it, it's reasonable service that I give my life for him. Salvation is not the objective of good works. Salvation is the motive for good works. And then number five this morning, here's why it matters how we live. And the word is assurance. Second Peter chapter one, verse number five. The Bible says beside this, well, back up to verse three. According as divine power hath given us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So God gave us everything we need to live the Christian life. That's a blessing. Verse number four, round five. Beside this, okay, so here's what God did, verses three and four. He saved you. He filled you with the Spirit. He gave you the Bible. He gave you the church. He gave you pastors. He gave you friends. He, he did everything that he could do to guarantee your success in the Christian life. But verse number five, here's your part. You don't have to add anything to your salvation except for faith, but to, 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 to grow in the Christian life and to advance, there is something you have to add. And beside this, giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue and a virtue, knowledge and a knowledge, temperance and a temperance, patience and a patience, godliness and a godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity. All of those things must be intentional. All of those things must be done on purpose. That is not going to be a natural development because your flesh is not yet saved. That is not the default position of the Christian life because our flesh is not yet saved. If we're going to have some virtue and knowledge and temperance and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity, we're going to have to diligently add those things to our faith. Okay, Verse number 8, For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't say they would make you saved. You're already saved by the grace of God. They'll make you neither barren nor unfruitful. Verse number 9. But he that lacketh these things. Okay? So it is possible to be saved, but to not have virtue, knowledge, temperance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And if you don't have these things, if you lack these things... He that lacketh these things, verse 9, is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, 
ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the danger in failing to live like a Christian? You can forget that you were purged from your old sins. I, I believe this morning that at some point, every saved person struggles with the assurance of their salvation. That, that has been my personal experience. That has been my experience in, in dealing with saved people and trying to preach to church people and trying to minister to young people. It seems as if, if not everybody, almost everybody at some point in time in their Christian life is going to struggle with, am I really saved? Okay? It just makes sense that the devil would seek to make us doubt. Because if, if, if we don't have the matter of our salvation settled, there's no way for us to advance, to go on in the Christian life. But one of the reasons, there are many reasons why people doubt their salvation, but one of the reasons, and, and, and in many cases, the main reason why people doubt their salvation is, yes, they trusted Jesus Christ. And if you trust Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven and your soul is saved. But if you don't grow as a Christian, if you don't go on to follow Christ, if you don't live differently than everybody around you, then there's no evidence of your salvation. And, and, and what follows that is you will lack or you will lose assurance of your salvation. Most of the people that I talk to who are struggling with assurance of salvation. At least, I remember in my own experience, the reason that I doubted whether or not I could be saved is that I was, I was saved, but I was not a Christian. I had trusted Jesus Christ to save my soul. I had not allowed him to be my Lord. I wanted him as my Savior. I didn't want him to tell me what to do. I was living how I wanted to live. I had every intention of following my own course and my own path in life. And there's no assurance in that. Okay? That makes sense? Look at, look at the book of 1 John. It, it really speaks to this in a couple different places. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse number First John chapter 2. We've got to read this carefully and consider it carefully because we, we can't misunderstand what's being said here. First John 2 verse number 3. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now obviously keeping his commandments is not the same as knowing God. Keeping his commandments is not the method of salvation. You don't get saved by keeping commandments. You don't stay saved by keeping commandments. But what do you get? You get knowledge that you know him. You get assurance that you're in Christ. Verse number four. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Again, 1 John is not saying, because it would contradict the rest of the Bible, and it's not what these words are saying. 1 John is not saying that you get saved by your works or you get kept by your works, that keeping commandments is any part of your salvation. What it is saying is keeping commandments is part of your assurance, that you'll have assurance 
If you let God work in your heart and in your life and, and mold you and conform to the image of Jesus Christ, one of, the, one of the side benefits of that is going to be a heart full of assurance that I am his and that he is mine, that I am his child, that he is my father. That closeness and the relationship will fill your heart with assurance. But, but, but what does that mean? It means that the opposite is also true. Where there is not obedience, where there is not keeping commandments, where there is not growth, in the Christian life, then that assurance is likely to not be there. Okay, look at it again in, in chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 14. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loved not his brother abideth in death. Now, is the way to get saved and go to heaven, is, is, is the way to do that loving people? No. If that were the way to get to heaven, we would all be going to hell. Because I love you sometimes. But sometimes I love me more. Right? And don't look at me like that. You love you sometimes, but often... Wait. You love you all the time. Often more than you love me. Shame on you. Right? We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. It's not that that's what makes us saved. It's, it's just that that's really good evidence that we are saved. Because before we were saved, that wasn't there. So if it is there, oh wow, <laughs> something's happened. Jesus Christ has made a change. It gives evidence. It, uh, by their fruit ye shall know them, right? The only way for us to tell what the kind of tree it is by looking at the fruit. The only way for us to tell whether or not someone is saved is by looking at the fruit in their life. God can see the heart. God can see whether somebody's saved even if there is no fruit because that's possible. Remember Lot? What fruit was there in Lot's life? Well, there was a lot of fruit. It was just all bad fruit. I don't even want to talk about it. It was so disgusting. But you know, the Bible says about Lot, he was just man, and he was a righteous man. Only God could see that. So it's possible for somebody to be saved and have no evidence of that, to have no fruit of it. And God, because salvation is a matter of the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. But, but you can't even see your own heart. The Bible says, heart's deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. If our heart condemn us, First John says, God's greater than our heart. So... So what gives us assurance, yes, ultimately our assurance comes from the scripture. We'll cover that. We'll speak about that. But, but a way for others to know we're saved is if we live like it. And, and, and something that will bolster our confidence and something that will grant us assurance is when we actually live like it. Okay? That's why it matters how we live. Do you want to go through your Christian life wondering whether or not you're saved or you want to have that settled or you want to have confidence? Well, then... One of the ways to get that confidence is just to do what Jesus said and let him work in and through your life. Look at it one more time. One more time, First John 4, verse number 13. First John 4. And verse number 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. 
The cross-reference here is Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15. Let me read that to you. I don't want to misquote it, and I'm afraid I might. So let me read Romans 8 and verse number 15. The Bible says this. Back at verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage and of fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to give you assurance that you are God's child. That's what the Holy Spirit, that is one of his purposes. That is what he has given to you to do, okay? But the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, quench not the Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, grieve not the Spirit. Here is what we do. When we fail to obey God's word, when we fail to diligently add to our faith, we quench the work of the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We hinder the Holy Spirit from doing what he is given to do. So if the Holy Spirit is given so that we can have assurance of salvation, but we are grieving and quenching his work in our lives, then guess what we will be without? The assurance that he is intended to give us. So why is it important how I live? Because how I live, it doesn't affect where I'm going, but it affects my certain knowledge that heaven is my destination. Is that making sense? Okay, look at chapter 5, verse number 13. Here's the ultimate source of assurance. 1 John chapter 5, and verse 13 says, These things... Have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Here's why I know I'm saved. Because God said in the Bible, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Because God said in the Bible, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know that I believed on Jesus Christ. I know I believe on Jesus Christ. I know that I am depending upon him. I know that I called out to him. The only way for me to not be saved is if God is a liar. He said, he promised that if you'll believe, if you'll call, he'll save your soul. Okay? So my assurance comes from the fact that God's word is true. Ultimately, okay, regardless of how I'm living, I know, I know that I can trust what God said in the Bible. But in a practical sense, on an everyday life level, assurance comes from obedience to the Lord. And, where, and, 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 and when we take the attitude that it doesn't matter how we live, you better be careful. You might end up getting saved six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And that's really embarrassing. There was a guy came here to church for a long time, and it seemed like every year or two, he would he'd have another salvation experience. He'd come forward at the end of a message, or he'd come and see Brother James in the office, and he just you know he'd have to get saved again. You know what his problem was? He wasn't growing as a Christian. He thought that salvation meant I won't have to do battle with the flesh. He thought that salvation meant I'll just automatically do what's right. And so I've got this sin in my life. The problem must be that I'm not saved. No, the problem is you're lazy in your spiritual life. It takes diligence to add to your faith. 
But that diligence pays off in blessing. And one of those blessings is assurance. So there are many, 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 many reasons why it matters how we live. Don't you ever use the grace of God as an excuse to live however you want. The Bible says, brethren, you've been called into liberty, but use not your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness or a cloak of lasciviousness, but by love serve one another. So thank God we're saved by grace. Thank God we're saved forever. But that grace of God is given to teach us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That is a very important principle to have a thorough understanding of and then to make application of in our daily lives. So, Lord, help us do that. Father, sure do thank you for the time we've had together in the Sunday School Hour this morning. God, thank you for these young people, their good attention to your word. Lord, help us not just understand these things intellectually. God, help, help us to apply these things to our lives. Thank you for the salvation that you've given. Thank you for the abundant life that is offered in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us be faithful to you, faithful to your word. Help us to love you more and serve you better. Would you bless now in the preaching time this morning? Thank you for all who've made the effort to be in church. Pray that you bless them for it. And uh, Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.